Welcome to Chasing Compliance, the global regulatory podcast, where we discuss all aspects of medical device, pharmaceutical, clinical, and regulatory strategy from bench to bedside. I'm your host, Jamie Hitchmans. Today, how to maximize the relationship with your CRO or clinical research organization. Even the obvious things need to just be discussed and just kind of checked off a list, sort of, making sure that all those key items are really captured. A lot of times you have to humble yourself to be able to ask those what they seem like simple questions than to, you know, not ask the question and later on realize that you you don't have what you need. We discuss the role of CROs in scientific research, what makes a great CRO great, some tales of less than ideal scenarios, what sponsors and site staff should look for in a CRO, the importance of communication, and of course, tips for maximizing your relationship with your CRO. We're joined today by Linda Peterson, the Vice President of Clinical Development and Global. Linda has over a decade of experience leading clinical trials, directing clinical departments, and working with all involved in clinical trials. We're joined by Sarah Shaw, a clinical trial manager at Global. Sarah started her research career at the bench, but quickly found out that her true calling was in the clinic. She has several years of experience with clinical study management and running clinical studies. And finally, we're honored to be joined by Carrie Gibney, a clinical research coordinator or CRC at the University of Colorado Boulder and a consultant for Global. For the last five years, Carrie has been a core piece of the research team in the oncology department at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. All right, let's talk to the guests. Hey, Linda, thanks so much for coming on Chasing Compliance today. Great to be here, Jamie. Sarah, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with everyone today. And Carrie, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamie. Excited to talk to you about CROs today. And I think we should start at the kind of the basics in case any listeners out there who are not familiar with what a contract research organization or a CRO is. The majority of our listeners probably are familiar, but for those who are not, what's a CRO and what is the role of a CRO in the clinical research space? A, a CRO is really a group of, of individuals um, who hire on with companies, mostly in the medical uh, field uh, and basically uh, the pharmaceutical and medical device uh, industry, and they typically manage the clinical trials and other tasks um, to help get the products to market. So would you say that CROs are involved in the development and testing of most drugs or devices or both? And do you think that they speed up the clinical research process? For example, would they be involved with the, the, the COVID-19 vaccine was tested relatively, really rapidly? Um, do you think CROs were utilized in this effort to speed up research? I think that's a great question, Jamie. So two parts of that, right? Like the first part, the development and testing. I mean, CROs are part, as Linda mentioned earlier, they're really from the start to the end as the sponsor needs it. Um, and, and CROs work with a myriad of different sponsors from device to drug, combination, et cetera. And then kind of going to that second part of the question, for working with those CROs and, and speeding up that COVID process? I think that's a difficult question, right? Like to pinpoint whether the CROs were a, a major component of that. I mean, absolutely, when you have a great relationship, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later today, but when you have a great relationship with your CRO, I think at any point when you're working on a project, you're definitely going to 
to work really well and speed things up on the process, getting things along faster, et cetera. And I also think, aside from that, just thinking of COVID as a whole, I really think that the process, the drug development, vaccine development with COVID has really started to shift people's thinking, not only with a CRO, but with a sponsor, just how to approach clinical trials in a more effective and streamlined manner has really been something that's kind of been on everyone's mind as we've been going through this. So I think it's a really interesting question. And I'm really curious to see how the landscape shifts with within 2021, not only within COVID trials, but just outside of that to see how the landscape really changes. And I think the CROs are going to be a major component in helping move those along as long as that relationship is there between the CRO and the sponsor and that communication is flowing um, very smoothly. Well, I think that some of us think that interaction with a CRO can kind of be like an interaction with your local auto mechanic when you go get an oil change, right? You bring your car in, you get your car out, and that's all there is, right? And they ask you right. what type of oil they want from the onset. But it seems like the interactions between sponsors who in hire the CRO and the CRO itself can be quite complicated and varied. Is that a correct ascertainment? That is Jamie. Yeah, I think that a CRO really offers kind of the manpower that the sponsor needs to help open sites um, rapidly and in multiple locations at at a quick pace, you know, for how fast the COVID vaccine was developed. I think that having a CRO have all these companies back really helped them gather the necessary data to ensure the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. I think that's a great point, Carrie, that you hit on is just how a CRO has helped move things along because it's true, right? Like oftentimes sponsors connect with CROs based on their far reach or their expertise or their experience with different sites that the sponsor may not have. So I think that's a really great point to bring up here too, as far as moving things along in a quicker pace. Well, that's interesting. So the CRO can really push things to the next level, potentially. They can, Jamie. Um, but I, there's one thing that that really does help speed things up. And Sarah kind of briefly mentioned, um, you know, com good communication and um, and flexibility. And those are some really key things. Um, and I know that, you know, the way uh, a lot of CROs, SOPs are written, um, they can't really be as flexible as what they'd like to be. So sometimes that does kind of hold things back. However, in this new environment, we're all in, you know, aware of, uh, we are all uh, looking at things a little bit differently. And global, we've been very fortunate uh, because when we started our, uh, our organization, as far as clinical operations goes, we we um, we you know began with that in mind. You know, when I was uh, on the sponsor side, I used to get very frustrated with the way that you know the CROs would work a lot of times for us. They we had poor communication a lot of times and a lot of rigidity, um, and those were two areas that really kind of frustrated me. So when we began putting uh, Global's clinical operation department together, uh, we not only started looking at things from a compliance standpoint, so we were trying to build quality in from the beginning, but then we were also at the same try time trying to be able to be as flexible as we were writing our, our SOPs as possible. So that way we could depending on the situation, flex where we need to. Sounds like there's potentially a lot of 
pitfalls or pain points in this interaction if if they're so they can be so varied and at the same time be prescribed by protocols you know do you guys have any interesting stories of some less than desirable things that CROs have done that drive sponsors nuts um have you worked with have you been a sponsor and contracted a CRO then that was less than ideal and what specifically didn't really work well in that situation and I can just kind of give you some generalizations um, because I've worked as on the sponsor side for many years um, and for several different large um, pharmaceutical companies, as well as some smaller ones. Um, and the thing that really, um, in general, really got me the worst was, um, you know, having uh, folks who were really rigid and also didn't have that you know, kind of like, uh, eagerness and willingness to accept ambiguity and try to help us meet those challenges and, uh, and try to be as flexible as, as possible. Um, because in those areas, when you can be flexible, you can really speed things along. Um, you know, this entire, um, you know, pharmaceutical and medical device industries, uh, it, things, you know, happen, um, on, you know, things can turn on a dime as we all know. And, uh, and you have to look to see how you could best take a look at the challenge that you have in front of you and then try to figure out how best to try to make it work and how we can get to where we need to be. What, what's the end goal? And as quickly as possible, because, you know, always we're looking at trying to get these products to market as quickly as possible to help individuals. I like to try to work as a team. And that's where I found if you can work as a team, and I know we'll get into a little bit more about communication a little bit later, but I do feel that those are some areas that, you know, most CROs could improve upon uh, would really help to be able to get to the products to market faster. I think that's something that you said, Linda, resonates with me just on an experience that I've had, you know, with communication. So I can recall, you know, a bunch of different times where the shifts that you're talking about have really kind of not gone as smoothly because the planning at the beginning of whatever was going on or just that constant planning and constant conversation was just lacking. And shifting in such a varied landscape, I think it's really challenging to kind of work like that. But I think with a really great CRO, you see them being very dynamic and flexible, like you said, Linda. And I think planning ahead, you know, doing those risk assessments and and just being inspection ready across the board, I think really sets you up for this smooth transition and, and taking a look at things and being able to operate and turn on a dime, like you said. Well, I'm sure bad communication works in both directions, bad communication between the CRO and the sponsor. And there also can be bad communication between the CRO and the study staff, right? Because the study staff that is part of staffing the trial itself or the study doesn't necessarily always have to work directly for the CRO. These these individuals are clinical research coordinators at the study site or anybody involved at the study site um, could be IRBs, could be anybody involved with with the regulatory side of things. Gary, you've worked for a while at study sites with different CROs. Are there anything that CROs do that drive you nuts? Yeah, Jamie, I would definitely say sites and CROs can butt heads in some ways, but as Linda and Sarah both touched on, being flexible and being organized are huge when it comes to um, working with your CRO. 
Um, I think Linda touched a moment on how um, CROs can be really rigid and um, follow really strict guidelines. Uh, I have worked as a research coordinator with some sites that have very specific guidelines for how they want CRCs to communicate with their site. I have worked with some CROs that have a very rigid communication styles. Um, you know, the CRC can only talk to the monitor who will bring it up to the project manager and up to the medical monitor, which is great. And it's important to have those um, lines of communication in place. But I've also really enjoyed working with CROs that are a little flexible and everybody is willing to chime in and help out just to make sure that, you know, the needs of our patients are met. What I'm hearing here, I'm putting my scientist clinical researcher cap on and I would say that having really strict study protocols is important. We would like to have the study conducted the same way for every patient as much as possible so we can isolate our independent variable and be sure that our dependent variables are co-varying due to the independent variable only. Let's all be real. Clinical research is involves humans and humans are sometimes terrible science subjects and things change over time. Trials or studies change over time. And so I imagine and rigidity in some aspects is really good, but rigidity in some aspects is really bad. And so what I'm hearing is that there, if there's rigidity in the administration administrative aspects of the trial or with communication or with pieces that can that are involved with conducting the trial that are not necessarily the protocol itself that can be challenging but having a rigorous study design and uh, rigorous sop or protocol is good is that is that true or no yeah, I totally agree with that perspective. And I agree as well, Jamie. Um, you, you definitely need uh, some rigidity, especially following the protocol, following the SOPs, those types of things. Um, and as I mentioned previously, what we've tried to do is to build some flexibility in where, we're, where we can. Um, you know, So, of course, yes, we will always follow the protocol. We will always follow the regulations. But at the same time, you know, like Carrie was mentioning, you know, those administrative types of um, activities, maybe you can be a little bit more flexible in how you approach things. And if you write your SOPs with a little bit of flexibility built in, then the, then your people are able to, um, you know, flex a little bit in some of those um, not so uh, necessary areas, you know, in the areas that you need to be rigid, yes. But there are a lot of different areas where you can, you know, have a little bit of flexibility, and especially when it comes to dealing with the the site staff and then, of course, you know, the CRO and the sponsor staff, you know, like you said, we were all people as well. Not only are the patients people, but then also too the people who are running the trial. So that does sometimes, you know, lend itself to needing to have a little bit of flexibility to be able to get the job done and all reach the same goal at this at, you know, in the, the fastest manner possible. I see. And Jamie, just something to add from what Linda said, you know, something that that I've tried to do in previous trials on the on the sponsor side, too, was to keep that open line of communication. So as Linda said, that that flexibility, but throughout the trial too, you know, taking a pulse of the sites and Carrie, I don't know what your experience has been with this, but, 
You know, I think sites and site staff changes, especially on a longer trial and adjusting to their different work styles is super important from a site level too, like just from a sponsor or a CRO perspective, working with a site, because then you have more streamlined communication. You know, I've found from having conversations of how to improve just administrative operational processes, um, you know, nothing to do with protocol and regulation, as Linda said, you know, we have to follow those, but but having those constant conversations of, hey, how can we improve this? How can we help you guys? Because you guys are are the boots on the ground, right? And how can we help to to support you guys and and provide you what you need in order to collect the data and to have really good quality data that we can use um, for the trial? Sarah, you just answered a follow-up question before I could even ask it. What I'm <laughs> what I'm hearing here is that the rigidity that is troublesome it's almost as if the CRO doesn't really care about the site, that they're not willing to take into consideration site specific or staff specific concerns, and they don't want to take the time to tailor things to your specific site. They just want to get it rolled out and get it started. Would you say that's correct or no? Well, it's so hard, Jamie, right? Because you're dealing with you could deal with, you know, 50 sites at the same time. And it's really comes down to how well you manage. I think when you have this beautiful relationship where you take the time to meet with each site individually and the site staff and to talk to them, I think that's where you see the relationship blossom and you see this really great product of how well you're working together. And, and I can add something in here, Jamie, as well. You know, I used to work as a CRA uh, for a CRO many years ago, and um, I know how rigid we had to be uh, basically because of the rules and the SOPs and, and that type of thing that we had to follow. Um, so I can understand sometimes when some of the, uh, the CRO personnel that are the boots on the ground, especially the CRAs, they have certain rules and, and uh, SOPs they need to follow. So, um, that's where I was, you know, mentioning earlier, if the company as a whole can understand that and try to be able to uh, write some flexibility into their SOPs and their processes. Yeah, but that's that's the hard thing to do, yes. Linda. It's, <laughs> yes. it's harder that way. It is. It's not easy. It's not easy. But we know that for a fact, because this is the way that we've been trying to write our SOPs and processes. And uh, it's not easy, but it can be done. <laughs> Along with that, what are some things that make great CROs stand apart along with being having the flexibility and taking the time to interact with study site staff and build a relationship? Are there other aspects? I, I would like to say from, you know, my my uh, experience being on the sponsor side, you know, their, their eagerness and willingness to, to help out and to take, you know, ambiguous, uh, you know, in an, an ambiguous environment and uh, try to do what they can to meet those challenges. Uh, be as flexible as you can be, even if you have certain SOPs and rules that you need to follow, you know, do what you can. And I always kind of, you know, a lot of people don't like this term, but it's a can-do attitude. That's what I look for when I was on the sponsor side. And uh, that's how we've tried to build, you know, globals processes, because we tried to take the frustrations that we had from being on the sponsor side, and we tried to correct those. Are there any war stories you want to share? Any really rough, rough interactions or, or particular um, cautionary notes? You can 
advise other CRO staff members out there, just don't do this. Gary, do you want to give some stories? Because I know you probably have a ton of them. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get some more stories. Come on. Come on. No names. But let's hear some more stories. No names. Yeah. Um, I do have an example of um, a CRO kind of um, not helping us in the way that we kind of anticipated to have the help just because we've worked with so many really great CROs. Um, but we've had um, CROs previously, and Sarah touched on this um, before, just CROs are so integral in helping for that inspection readiness or audit preparation. And we had a study drug um, come really quickly to uh, FDA approval. It was in, within the last few weeks where our site, which was heavy enrolling, could have been um, FDA audited for the approval of this drug. Um, and our CRO was running around making sure that our um, investigator site file was up to date, our trial master file was um, completely um, finished and ready to go. Um, and, you know, that it was at that moment, just two weeks before potential FDA audit, that we were running around not prepared. Um, and so I just, I think it's so important for CROs to start ensuring um, inspection readiness um, as as early as their first couple of monitoring visits. Are we filing things correctly and appropriately? And of course, a lot of that falls to the site as well. And we learned a lot from that experience too. Um, but that's just one probably example of of a big of a big war story that we we had not anticipated previously. So that sounds very stressful. Yeah, it was it was not easy. So <laughs> I appreciate how much we've talked about communication here because I I think that um, keeping those open lines of communication and everybody being willing to to help out and um, you know talk to. The sites is just so important because site staff does turn over relatively quickly and keeping all of those open lines of communication is really important to making sure that the sites are meeting the goal of the sponsor. So, And Carrie, you made me think of something when you're kind of going through that, that I experienced that was really challenging, but looking back, I can see why it happened. And I, I think too, it's it's having those conversations that may seem obvious, right? Like I think that people have people have an idea of what they know and assume that who they're working with knows the same thing, knows the same baseline. And so not everyone is taking a pulse on, okay, are we on the same page? You know, and I think that's a hard conversation because you don't want to you don't want to say like you don't know how to do your job. Right. But but at the same time, I think it's something where I've come across like at the end of a study saying, oh, no, we don't have this. And we have the conversation like, hey, you know, where is this? And and they'll just say, you know, we didn't know that we needed that. And and I think that that was like a major step back to say, OK, well, we need to have those conversations up front just to make sure that we're on the same page you know, that certain things need to be collected because not everyone's information is the same starting out. And I think having those conversations up front, like you were saying, Carrie, is really key. Even the obvious things need to just be discussed and just kind of checked off a list, sort of, making sure that all those key items are really 
captured. A lot of times, you know, you have to humble yourself to be able to ask those what they seem like simple questions than to, you know, not ask the question and later on realize that you you don't have what you need. I think that it's a really appreciated thing when you kind of step back and do that too. Absolutely. Um, Keeping those open lines of communication is so important. Some of my best experiences with my CRO are when they take the time to individually kind of train sites on specific pieces that are coming up, whether it's a protocol amendment or they say, you know, we had one site that kept missing this one detail, even if it's minor, if you start doing it now, you're going to help yourself miss a ton of deviations and, you know, you'll be way ahead of the game. And so I think that, again, just back with that communication from the from the CRO to the site, um, it's just so important to, to have that. So. One of the reasons that Global wanted to start a CRO is because we were able to find a handful of people with excellent perspective that have lived through interactions with wonderful CROs and terrible CROs from both the sponsor and the site side. And we're lucky to have you guys, but we want to share your expertise with the world. So can you give us your perspective on what makes a CRO great and how you can maximize the interaction with your CRO from both the site side and the sponsor side? I'm happy to start. I think that um, all my interactions with CROs um, always include just really organized individuals. Uh, Whenever I need to contact a CRO quickly, usually from the site side, it's patient related and time sensitive. I always appreciate that they have the answer or know exactly where to find the answer and quickly, um, especially when I'm in clinic waiting on patients or doctors. And so I think where that probably comes from is just CROs being willing to, to, you know, keep constant communication with themselves and um, staying open about their trainings and just discussing their expectations often. And Carrie, I think part of that, you know, being on the flip side and, and being quick with responding and having answers for the site so that they can act quickly on, on urgent needs is really having a understanding of the chain of communication, whether it be within the CRO to the sponsor or in the sponsor's setting, but really knowing, okay, you know, I can go here for this answer, here for that type of answer, right? And making sure that everyone on the team is aware of what answer is being given. We're on the same page, but doing that really quickly. And I think that comes from coordination up front and constant conversation of, who we need to go to to get the right answer, because it's oftentimes a bunch of different people at the same time that you need to get input from. And so it can be really challenging to get those answers back really quickly. Um, But so just building that hierarchy and that understanding, that communication path um, in when you need it most. And then I would add to that too, Sarah and uh, Carrie, that, you know, that, that eagerness and willingness to try to be helpful. Um, I think the right attitude 
And, uh, you know, with the right attitude, anything is possible. And I always go back to that. If you have those CROs that have a really good attitude and are willing to um, and, and eager to help you, I think that would be something that I would, you know, tell other folks. That's what you want to look for. You want to look for people who not only can be flexible, but that want to be flexible and want to be helpful. They want to be, you know, they're committed to uh, getting the product to to market as quickly as, as possible. They have the same goals that say the sponsor has, you know, so you want to see that alignment and you want to see that eagerness and willingness. Yeah. I always thought that, you know, my monitors, my great monitors, you know, working with my CROs were just wonderful, fabulous people. And it's, it's good to know that there are processes behind how, how all of my monitors, my good monitors are are geniuses, you know, about every protocol that they run, because I know they're probably working on just as many as I am. Speaking of monitors, do you prefer CROs that are constantly evaluating the study and the data from your site that are looking at things and acting proactively to see if there's issues? Or do you prefer that CROs take a step back, let you do your thing? Yeah, personally, I think that our team um, highly values our monitors and, and maybe to, to no fault. You know, I think that we truly appreciate having, knowing that they have our back on site, making sure that we're capturing everything that's needed correctly and accurately um, on time. If, if they were to wait, for example, until their, their locks or their endpoints then, you know, at that time, they could find millions of things wrong with what we've done. But since they're able to, even during COVID, remotely review our data, it's so helpful to have, have them have our back and make sure that, that we're doing everything correct the first time. First time communication, making sure everything's done correctly the first time around is just so helpful. And some of the feedback, Carrie, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it too. Some of the feedback I've received from sites has been, you know, how can we streamline the information coming to them? So like you have maybe three different systems you're working in, a different EDC, a different ETMF, and, you know, the sites are already running so many other studies with different systems. Um, and some of the feedback I've received is just, you know, working with the site to figure out how can we give you this information in a streamlined fashion so you know exactly where to go for each piece of the study. Um, we've even looked at like quick reference guides or just kind of like quick sheets that the study site personnel can pull up and just take a look at to get them oriented with the study once they're shifting off of, you know, another study, maybe even different type of therapeutic area, potentially, if they're working in, in other areas. It's, I've, I've heard that it's been helpful to kind of be oriented into what you're doing too. Yeah, absolutely. I think a ton of that comes from, a ton of the knowledge that I get from sites comes specifically from the site initiation visit. And you're correct. Most studies have different have like five different platforms that you're working on. They're all all always well described in the site initiation visit. And as a coordinator, that's always my go-to document. It's got everything that you need actually in one document, even though it's it's yeah, it's usually pretty long. 
um, because SIVs can go from anywhere from an hour to four hours. But it's always worth it to have, I would say, one streamlined document for sites to reference. I do have a couple of monitors that check in pretty frequently to make sure that um, all of our information is up to date, which I I always appreciate. It's not often that your uh, platforms are are changing or anything, but if they do, the monitors are always kind of our first line of contact to to provide us with all that information. So again, just that keeping that open line of communication um, open. As a CRC, I always want to have the answer or try have tried every avenue to find the answer before I need to reach out to the team. Having, I would say having some sort of, as you were saying, maybe like a like a checklist or a guidance document um, for each platform would be super helpful because even though the site initiation visit sheet or PowerPoint is very helpful, having one document that describes all of that would be amazing. So I can envision a scenario where too much interaction could feel micromanaging. Does that ever happen? That's a good point to bring up. I have had interactions with a monitor specifically where there was just too much, you know, they, at the time when they could come up to my desk while they were on site, I would see them every hour, for example, and that was too much. And so it it is important to lay down the ground rules and say, we can meet at the end of your visit, you know, for, for an hour at a time or so, make sure to bring any questions or concerns that you have at that time. And we can address everything kind of at once. But that's probably the most I would say I've ever had a bad interaction with the CRO. Um, but I am interested um, to see if anybody else has had experience where where they thought, you know, too much communication was the thing. I, I can say, Carrie, from the sponsor side, when, when I was working on the sponsor side, um, there were times where, you know, um, a little bit too much communication could be detrimental and kind of get in the way. So I think you really do need to find that balance. Of course, you know, as we spoke about earlier, you know, some of we have to make sure that the, all the questions are asked, but at the same time, um, you know, be thoughtful before you ask the questions and make sure that you really do have to ask the question um, or, you know, you may already have the answer. So dig back through the communication you've had with the, with the, um, with the sponsor or the site and make sure that you don't need to ask that question again. If you do though, feel free to, to ask it. So that way the communication does flow appropriately. That's interesting, Linda. Do you have any other advice now that you're running a CRO? What do you tell your staff regarding the level of communication so that they can be involved and open and integrated, but not feel like they're hovering or micromanaging? That's a really good point, Jamie. Um, I really do um, try to encourage them to communicate as much as as they possibly need to. Um, a lot of times they'll they'll you know bring things t- to my attention first and ask just to make sure if they're uncertain if it's a little too much. But I always tell them to be thoughtful. Think about you know do some critical thinking ahead of asking the question. And always you know if they need to you know my door is always open. I can I'll always take a look at, at what they're they're proposing um, if they feel a little uncomfortable, but always try to have as much communication uh, um, and good communication. Make sure it's it's appropriate communication. And to that point, Linda, I think something that you do really well and it's really helped me 
Two, to think about is that every study team is different, right? So so figuring out how to adjust your style to meet their needs, because what worked for the last study Work may have worked really well, but may work terribly on the next study because it's a different team, right? So like kind of gauging at the beginning those first initial contacts and adjusting your communication style and, and just how you operate with that team, that's something that, you know, I think is really key at the beginning is to figure that out, right? Because just figuring out what they need and and how to react to that really makes for a good relationship, I feel. And also, too, throughout the process as well, you want to make sure that, you know, you're flexing, you know, throughout the project because, you know, sometimes as we spoke about earlier, you know, teams change, you know, we just never know, you know, different things happen, different uh, priorities come up and they may have to go on to another project. Um, so you're constantly, you know, reevaluating. And even with the same team, you know, as uh, the study progresses and, and uh, you know, the different milestones are met, sometimes you have to flex a little bit with your communication or, you know, your process. So, you know, that flexibility is really key, but also trying to read your audience, I think is extremely important. Yeah. And even to that, Linda, looking outside, like after a study, something we talk about is those lessons learned pieces and adjusting how how we've done things and assessing our processes, right? Because we've created them really flexibly, but, but on another point, you know, making some adjustments based on things that we've experienced make us even more flexible and able to just work, keep on improving because I think that's a constant process with any company. And I think someone being able to, to identify those things as they happen and being able to adjust and then also correct in a process or or work with a group to make a process work better, I think it's a really key part of it as well. Absolutely. And I love it how we pressure test um, all of our processes as we move along. Um, and as you said, different studies will have different you know methods or things that have to be done a little bit differently. And um, if we can flex a little bit more, we try to you know update our process to make sure that we're as flexible as possible, but also within the guidelines and the regulations. I've always loved that about research, how everything can be very similar in one way, but have tiny, tiny little differences where you need to to meet the needs of everybody in a very specific manner. Yeah, it's an interesting point, taking the time to tailor the study to some degree, some pieces of it to the actual staff. And that gets back to taking the time to understand who you're working with and what their needs are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and how you can serve as a CRO, how you can serve the study site the best instead of how can the study site serve you. And that's a very good point, Jamie. I like to hear you say that um, because that's exactly what we try to do. We try to be the, you know, a service organization um, and we try to do what we can um, to help all the different needs, not only the sponsor, but also the site staff at the same time. If, if you tailor your communication in a manner that says, we're all in this together, how can I help you? That's going to be perceived completely differently than if it's a dictatorial authoritarian relationship. Yeah, and that's pretty key for global. That's exactly our attitude. How can we help? We're all in this together. Absolutely. You know, the whole point of this is to make people's lives better. If we can join together in that ideology and work together as a team, I think all relationships, interactions can be better. 
And I think that's what really helps us as as a global organization. We, you know, we always have that end goal in mind. How how are we going to help these patients? Do you have tips for anybody that's working with a less than optimal CRO, either on the sponsor side or on the site side? Um, what would you tell somebody who's ready to give up? You know, I, I would probably give them the advice of, you know, make sure, though, make sure that you are doing everything that you can to make the relationship work because you really it's you know, it, it can be costly and time consuming to make changes. But if you really need to make a change, I always say, give us a call, you know, because global we're, we're a little bit different and we really do try to help everyone that works with us. We all, you know, work towards that same goal and we are we're as flexible as we possibly can be. And we we really like to help people. So say you're a CRC, you don't necessarily you're you're in a 26 site study that's three quarters of the way finished and you wake up every Monday and just want to not go to work. Do you have any advice for those people? How can they repair the relationship with their CRO? You know, I would say they should probably like the same thing. Try to um, work with them the best that they can. Try to tr try to see things from the other point of view to see if there's anything that you can do better. Um, but at, when it gets to that point, I would have the conversation with the sponsor or, you know, do whatever you can to try to um, have a conversation with someone in authority that could possibly try to get you some help. But definitely at the end, if you really are not getting the help you need, make sure you have that discussion with the sponsor um, because the sponsor may decide that this, that's not a real good fit. Because at the end of the day, you know, we need to get the, the data from the sites. We need to help the sites to be able to get the data for this, the trial. And that's the bottom line, really. We, we really need to get good, clean data. And Linda, something really interesting that you said too, because it's so funny, we keep coming back to communication, but I feel like that's that's a huge part of, of what we do. It's hard to approach someone because you don't want to come off accusatory um, because, you know, there's a lot of different things going on with their job. Being upfront and saying, you know, I've recognized that this is happening. How can we work together to find a good solution? How can we optimize this process to make it the best for the patient, for the participant? I think is a key conversation that needs to happen as well first and something that's worked well in my experience as well. Yes. And, and also throughout, throughout the entire process, um, you know, uh, I think that the communication is absolutely key, uh, being able to flex, as we mentioned, um, and, you know, as these things change, being able to adapt uh, and even adapting your communication as well to make sure that you, you are um, getting everything that you need in the most appropriate manner. I would agree. And I say, I would say that from the site perspective, a lot of the lack of communication getting of a site getting back to the CRO and making sure that data is clean and up to date is that the site, you know, feels bogged down and overloaded. Good communication is important, but I think having communication with deadlines and early communication is really important when it comes to getting what you need out of the out of the site. You know, when you think about a site, 
and also larger institutions when staff teams are changing constantly is that training piece. When you have a new study team come in or different people come into the study on the site end is to have that have that conversation with them, make sure that they're their understanding. And I think too, something that's helped is having a conversation with the site and letting them know, you know, going through the training material, but then also letting them know some lessons learned from, from ways that we've done things and they didn't work out well, but then here's how we've adjusted and, and do things differently to accommodate for any challenges. Of course, following the protocol and regulations, but kind of on an administrative side, like we've noticed, okay, you got to do this. You got to check off this um, and do it maybe in a different way. And I think that's important to to make sure those gaps are filled when someone jumps in um, and a new person is trying to understand all the ins and outs of a complicated study and the operations. That's why we built what we did, um, because we were seeing that there was a lack of, you know, understanding in some in some areas. But then also, um, you know, uh, we needed to to build that willingness to work and willingness to work with others. And, and that's what we do really well at Global. Oh, that's fantastic. So completely unrelated, we like to do something fun at the end of every episode. We call that Favorite Friday Night, um, where I ask you what your your favorite activity is on a Friday. Work is hard. Life is hard. How do you celebrate a long and successful week? Okay, I'll go first here, Jamie. Um, I'm really blessed with so many really wonderful friends. And my favorite thing to do on a Friday evening is to go out with my friends and just kind of decompress from the week and just enjoy each other's company. Oh, that sounds great. Sarah? So it depends on the season, Jamie, because right now I've been into this particular video game with my husband, which I never thought that um, I'd be interested in before, but it's a lot of fun. Um, but when it's nicer out, not as cold in Pennsylvania, uh, I love to go out hiking and walking. Um, I live near the woods, so there's some awesome trails to get to go explore um, and take our doggos with us. Oh, that's fantastic. Carrie, how about you? It definitely changes each season right now. Um, my favorite Friday night is a Disney movie and popcorn with my husband. Sounds yeah. really nice. Yeah, yeah. This episode of Chasing Compliance. If you have any further questions regarding the topics we discussed on today's show, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly through email at info at globalrwc.com or by visiting our website at www.globalrwc.com. There you can find show notes, links to other podcasts, white papers, tools for regulatory and clinical strategy, and more information regarding our approach to solving a variety of regulatory and clinical challenges. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, or share this with your colleagues. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app you are listening on, or leave us a comment directly on our website. We read each and every comment and review, and it helps us improve the show. So don't be shy, but don't be mean. Thank you, and we wish you continued compliance.